I'm Jamie Nye, live at the Saskatchewan Provincial Men's Curling Championship, the Nutana Curling Club, where Drew Remenda used to throw rocks way back in the day. But uh, as he lived down the street at Taylor and way McPherson, down way down the street, taking your skidoo down the uh, Taylor to go <laughs> curling at the Nutana. Uh, right, Drew? Yeah, the Remenda family uh, believed in their kids walking everywhere, so or taking the bus. So no. <laughs> And we didn't. We did not skidoo. <laughs> you're, you're walking. You had to walk that broom all the way down to the Natana way back in the day, right? Big mm-hmm. walker. Still am. You walked Still to am. all the NHL rinks, or, except for I one. Yesterday. No. Yeah. I, Brooklyn is the, the the new one for the Islanders. Is why I haven't got there yet. But we'll figure it out. Okay, Drew Romenda. Um, yeah. The Vancouver Canucks late last night. <laughs> I uh, I didn't wake up to news. I was still awake, uh, but I was like, oh, "What? What? What is happening?" People were tweeting, "Don't trade Niels Hoglander." I'm like, "What is happening to the van?" They did not trade Niels Hoglander. Uh, they traded Kuzmenko to the Calgary Flames along with two defensive prospects, a first round pick, and a fourth for Elias Lindholm, who will now wear a Canucks patch on his All Star jersey rather than a Flames patch on his All Star jersey in Toronto. I said earlier, Drew. In 2024, I like this trade for the Vancouver Canucks. In 2034, we'll revisit it later if there's no Stanley Cup or anything else. But, Drew, what did you think of what the Canucks pulled last night? Phenomenal, to tell you the truth. And the other aspect that we look at is you've got now Zadorov and Lindholm from a division rival but as we talked about it was yesterday you mentioned Lynn Holman and um, we talked about when you're not very good the division rival thing doesn't mean that much but this is a good trade for Calgary who are obviously going to embrace a rebuild an outstanding trade for the Vancouver Canucks Jim Rutherford came out and said they want another they want another top six guy well they got another top six guy and a guy who needed a change He's a 100-point guy two years ago, playing with the right people. He can reach those numbers again, and he could be playing with the right people in Vancouver. It is a signal that Vancouver thinks now is the time. Mm -hmm. Also, if you look at Jim Rutherford, and I know that Jim's, but he's the president of the club, if you look at his history of trades, he doesn't wait till the trade deadline. He makes trades early, and they. This is it. That I, to me, that's he a did smart it last year with Bo Horvat. He tra- exactly. it was the same store. Bo Horvat arrived in the All Star game, and he was wearing an Islander patch rather than a Canuck patch. Uh, right, and that's what uh, Jim does, and this is what Jim does. He's done it in his entire career. Is yeah. he is not afraid to go all in, and the cupboards might be bare when he leaves, but his past precedent, he's got a few Stanley Cup parades uh, in his history. Three? I want to say three. Was it Carolina and two in Pittsburgh? Carolina and two in Pittsburgh. Carolina and two in Pittsburgh. So, you know, yes, he is president. And, of course, he and uh, Patrick will have conversation after conversation. Patrick is Patrick Galvin's the guy that pulled the trigger. It is funny, though. He signs an extension and then pulls this trigger. I mean, that's pretty yeah, it's pretty good timing right there. Not a bad first day for the extension. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a signal, and we talked about it yesterday. It's a signal to the players, we're in this this year to win this whole thing. If you're thinking anything else, you're in the wrong room. 
And by the way, uh, the All-Star uh, draft goes tonight. Uh, there's the uh, different captains from different teams. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl are our captain. They're all teammates. Uh, McCarr yeah. uh, and McKinnon. It was supposed to be Jack Hughes and Quinn Hughes, but Jack isn't playing. Um, I forget which Canuck it is. I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's JT Miller that's uh, helping Quinn Hughes on that one. So I imagine the two Canucks will pick Elias Lindholm in the first round. <laughs> Absolutely. I imagine they'll sure. be like, welcome aboard to the Canucks team. <laughs> come hey, on, come, come on over. Uh, if you're not doing it, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, let's get some chemistry it, for our overtime exactly. games when we're three-on-three three together uh, for the yeah. uh, All-Star but draft going tonight. It's, it is it is a really smart move. And also, for Calgary, it's a signal that they're embracing a rebuild. You look at the haul they got back, and they've got a good haul back. They've got a good start. It, it made, as Craig Conroy said after the trade, it made the most sense to us to do this. And it is. They are a situation now where you'll see them start to make trades. And it's better to do it now. I know what Calgary fans are thinking. But it's better to do it now than wait. Because the value drops for your players as your team goes through what Anaheim going through, what the Sharks are going through, what Chicago's going through, what um, eh, pretty much it for now when you look at it. Those teams are going through in order to to make themselves back to what they used to be. Calgary's embracing it early, and I think that's the right move. Uh, Patrick Johnson is going to join us uh, next from uh, the Post Media in Vancouver to assess the Canucks at 4.35 when we drop the gloves. But coming up next, uh, we're, we're still going to do our tour around what the needs are for each NHL team. We did Vancouver a few days ago and said maybe Elias Lindholm could be a good fit. Well, he's now a Vancouver Canuck. Up next on our tour, the Winnipeg Jets and the Toronto Maple Leafs, two other playoff contenders in Canada, as Drew and I will assess at the unofficial midway point of the season as the NHL All-Star break is underway tonight it's the draft before the all-star weekend begins with the skills competition tomorrow the game on saturday and of course the pwhl showcase three on three that goes tonight in toronto i'm live at the nutana curling club for the saskatchewan men's uh, tankard i'll update you on the scores happening behind me as uh, mike McEwen is on the ice undefeated the favorite coming in and uh, way down on the other sheet two undefeated teams as well Clyder and hartung are going back and fourth in Pool B. That's all coming up next here on the Green Zone on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Jamie Nye. He's Drew Romenda. This is the Green Zone live from the Tana Curling Club for the men's provincial tankard as the they will crown on Sunday the Provincial Men's Curling Championship to wear the Saskatchewan colors at the Briar in Regina. But we're going to continue our tour around NHL teams at the unofficial midseason point with the NHL All-Star break. We've already covered up what the Canucks need. They got one last night in Elias Lindholm, uh, the Oilers, the Flames, but let's uh, move west to the Winnipeg Jets, another team uh, near the top of the standings uh, for a Canadian franchise, Drew, a team you like. They have one of the best goaltenders in the league. Uh, they have a lot of, they have like $7 million in cap space for a trade at the deadline, but Kevin Dayoff is a very patient general manager. What do you expect to see from the Jets as we get closer to the trade deadline? Well, that's the Jets are an interesting team to me because if you look if you look at them, you did mention Connor Hellebuck. He's fourth in the NHL in wins. He's second behind Aiden Hill in goals against average. 
He is uh, second behind Aiden Hill or tied with Jeremy Swayman in save percentage. They're great at goaltending. Their defense are physical. They are strong. They move the puck well. They're quick. Their forwards are gritty, hardworking, tough to play against. They have a vision. Um, when I asked Rick Bonus earlier this year, what was the biggest thing you had to change? What was the biggest thing that you had to uh, start working on to get the team where you wanted? And he said this, which I thought was really interesting, which was in the dressing room or on the ice. And I went, oh. And he said, we had a lot to work on in here. We had a lot to work on in our attitude and our identity and and who we wanted to be. There was a lot of that we had to do to come together as a team. And they have obviously done that. But, and with Will, but it's, how aggressive do you think he's going to be? Uh, he's made a trade or two before. Of course, usually it's adding depth down the middle. Uh, for And that's probably where they're looking again uh, yep. is depth down the middle for the uh, uh, the Jets because uh, Mark Shifley is on the IR right now. Where I look at that is that down the middle, if you can get a centerman, great. Where I, I they have a weakness is their special teams. Their special teams are mediocre at best. They're only 15, almost 16% in the power play, less than 80% on the penalty kill. If they don't shore that up and get better there, it's going to be problematic in the playoffs because you're going to get some really, really skilled teams. So I look at them as trying to maybe get a grab a guy. At back end, they're fine. Point, they're in, in net. They're outstanding. He will win you more games than uh, you probably deserve. But I would think they would want to try to get somebody up front to help get that power play going, especially if you have guys that are out, your top guys who are out uh, longer than they should be. Uh, All right, uh, let's go over to the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, of course, as we continue our tour. Uh, They do have a first-round pick. Some are speculating that they'll trade theirs away like the Vancouver Canucks have. But when you look at the Leafs, who do not have the cap room, their dead cap space is pretty well zero for a deadline trade. So it'll have to be money in, money out to make it work for the Maple Leafs. What do you expect uh, from Toronto as Brad Treliving uh, tries to uh, help this team? They've got past round one. Now they have uh, two more rounds to get through. Well, I don't know what they can do. I, I really don't know what they can do as far as the one issue that that you're looking at with them is who is going to play net for them. Who's going to be their guy? If you look at the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League, um, as far as the stats, just pure stats, they are not anywhere near the top 30. John Gibson rolls in at about 30, not John Gibson, I'm sorry. Martin Jones rolls in about 37 as far as numbers go. Mm -hmm. Martin Jones has gone to the Stanley Cup before with the San Jose Sharks losing to Pittsburgh. He has a decent save percentage and decent goals against average. Can he maintain it is the question. They have got, I'm sorry, Oiler fans, I'm sorry, okay? You know how much I like Connor, so don't start with me. They've got the best pure goal scorer on the planet in Austin Matthews. Absolutely goal-scoring phenom. He is the best sniper in the game. They've got terrific um, depth up front as far as skilled players go. 
and I think they play with more of an edge than people give them credit for. John Tavares, to me, is no winner. <laughs> Period. End of discussion. He leaves you wanting. Every game, every playoff series, he leaves you wanting. If that's the guy you're focused around, forget it. You're not winning. Oh, I, uh, that's that's just the way I, I feel, and I could be 100% wrong. But tell me what John Tavares has ever done. One round, if I remember correctly, with the Islanders over Florida, we're on the winning goal. It should have been a friggin' penalty called against the Islanders anyway. Referee just let it go. But Tavares is not your guy. Now, Nylander, Marner, um, Matthews are phenomenal, and they've got a good surrounding cast. I think their D gets beat up a lot. They don't deserve it. But overall, I, my question is goaltending, and when it comes down to crunch time, can you overcome the pressure that you're going to receive, that you get 100% of the time? And don't tell me you don't hear it because you do if you're a player. You can't help but hear it. They say I don't read the papers. They say I don't listen. Yes, you do. We know you're lying. <laughs> Because they're the first ones to come to us and go, I heard exactly. what you said about us. I heard what you said about us. Like, why'd you say that? <laughs> what? How did, you, how did you know when you never never listen? Uh, it happens it's all a very, the time. It's, they're a very good team, but they have underperformed this year. I just Honestly, don't know what to do. They have zero room. It has to be money out and money in, money out deal yeah, for so the who? Toronto Maple Leafs to make it. So it'll be interesting unless... I don't know. You got to roll with the guys you got. Yeah. You got to roll with the guys you got, and, and I don't think the guys you got are that. enough. Like, sorry, yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs. It's that's it's not going to be enough uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs again uh, in the playoffs. Uh, but we'll see how uh, Brad Living tries to make it work uh, this year. Uh, he does have an asset, but doesn't have a lot of budget like the Winnipeg Jets do uh, to improve their team. Jamie and I, Drew Romendo, with you here on the Green Zone as we get to the one-minute drill. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have locked up Sean Payne Jr. to a new two-year contract to stay with the Rough Riders. The receiver had a breakout year, over 1,000 yards, 93 catches. The CFL negotiating window opens on Sunday before CFL free agency will open on February the 13th. Also in Saskatchewan, the Blades announced they'll hang number 39 from the rafters of Sastel Center. That honors Frank Bannum, the franchise leading scorer and holds the record still for most goals in a single season. He scored 83 with the Blades in the 95-96 season. An NHL All-Star Weekend kicks off today at Toronto's Scotiabank Arena with the PWHL 3-on-3 showcase as well as the All-Star Draft where the captains will pick the four teams for the uh, Saturday game. Of course, tomorrow is the skills competition. And coming up next here on the Green Zone, live from the Nutana Curling Club, we'll talk to our sport business analyst, Tom Mayenecht on the business of the new New deal for the PGA, and is is he surprised of all the valuations coming in on the Kansas City Chiefs and the National Football League on how much money Taylor Swift is making them? This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. 
Jamie Dodger Romendo with you here on the Green Zone. I am live in Saskatoon at the Nutana Curling Club. They are hosting the Sastal Tanker, the Men's Provincial Curling Championship. The draw underway right now. Let's bring you an update. As Hartung and Clyder in Pool B, both 2-0. and It is 3-2. Hartung leads that one in the sixth and also with Hammer. Mike McEwen, the top-ranked team here, tied 3-3 with one of the younger teams, a former junior player in Burnath is back again at the Tankard. Uh, that one's tied 3-3. McEwen has hammer. Uh, Steve Laycock, one, another former champion, is up 5-3 going into the seventh end after scoring two in six. And two winless teams right now tied at four, Jacobson and Height. And, of course, another draw coming up at uh, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, d- including the defending champion, Kelly Knapp, who has started 1-1 one and one. Uh, this week. Uh, but right now, uh, let's talk some sports business with Tom Mayonect. Breaking down the business of sports with Tom Mayonect. Tom Mayonek joining us, host of the Sport Market. You hear him every weekend here on CJME and CKOM. Tom, oh, more golf stories in the sports business. Three billion dollars uh, coming over uh, from the group that includes the Fenway group, uh, Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, the Atlanta Falcons ownership and more. Um, how big of a deal is this for the PGA Tour in their battle against Live Golf, even though we're still anticipating some Saudi money coming to the PGA Tour? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you, you nailed it. This this isn't necessarily enough to change the trajectory of men's professional golf uh, and the civil war that's engulfed it these last couple of years. Having said that, it certainly gives uh, the uh, PGA Tour some leverage, a, a little bit of strength. In any kind of sit-down, money always has the upper hand. And, of course, they've been completely... Uh, outgunned on that front, uh, you know, in their discussions to date with the Saudi Sovereign Fund and, and, and Live Golf. So this gives a little bit of oomph and it opens the door to, okay, if this consortium values the PGA Tour to the tune of $3 billion, would there be a consortium two and a consortium three? And what would that do to, you know, how flexible uh, Live Golf and the PIF is in terms of where they want to go with men's golf? So I, I think it gives some added leverage, uh, but I'm not so sure it, it, it changes the overall uh, course that, you know, the, the, the two sides appear to be going on for confirmation, likely before the Masters. What does it mean when the press release says that they're going to allow players to receive grants um the first uh, what 200 players to receive grants from this uh, from this consortium yeah it's almost like an honorarium it's almost like um uh, baseline baseline money for them uh one of the uh, you know things that the PGA tour has had going against it is it didn't have a guarantee, whereas we see the amounts that, um, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson and, and, and the whole crew uh, have been able to sort of get without necessarily winning anything. Um, again, these grants will not do anything but pale in comparison to the money that the Saudis are prepared to pay for it, but it gives a little bit of that nuance that the PGA Tour is willing to do things differently 
to impact its members at all levels of the membership. Tom Manick joining us, uh, host of the Sport Market here on uh, the Green Zone as uh, PGA gets a nice uh, $3 billion, one and a half now, one and a half later, and likely uh, Live Golf and Piff will be coming in, which will be interesting. Uh, Sorry, Drew. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, Now, Fenway is a part of this. Is this the Fenway group, right? What, yes, John, when we look John, at the f- John Henry, who's not only owner yeah. of the Bosox but Liverpool, he's part of it. And, and if I may, Drew, what you've just triggered is just the comment that this is not just three billion dollars. This is three billion dollars from some of the most influential uh, and, and and strong billionaires in North American sport, and that does count for something in these discussions with with uh, Live Golf and the Saudis. Okay, Tom. We've gone long enough without talking about Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love the, it. the valuation and the estimates of like $300 million for the Chiefs in the NFL with her in, like, it is, re- I can't, can you believe it? Because this is my question. I cannot believe this to be true. Are these just economists fudging numbers to make it sound bigger than it actually is on her influence on what is already a behemoth? of the shield or can she actually bring in that much more valuation for a franchise in a league well the first thing that i have to declare is you're talking to a sport business geek so when it comes to the economists when you come when it comes to the uh evaluators uh you know i'm certainly game for these kinds of projections uh, you know media evaluation is a very interesting game because it's 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 one thing for advertising value. It's another thing for editorial value. It tends to be four times um, when it's editorial value. And that's what we're talking about with Taylor Swift. These aren't 30-second commercials that are featuring her. It's something that's worth even more being embedded in programming. Um, even if it's only, uh, you know, uh, uh, 60 to 90 seconds a game, that does mean media value. And then just the, the, the new market contributions of fans who might not have ever seen an NFL game before, but were encouraged to at least tune in by what they and their friends had going on, on, on their social media platforms. That is so-called fresh meat, so to speak. And that is valued very heavily because on all these projections, you're not only looking at value at the present, but projected value of a new customer over the period of the um, you know the next ten to twenty years of the lifespan of that of that relationship with that person being a fan or being a viewer of a show. So you know I I I would suggest that when it comes to media valuation, those numbers are doable. And note that they talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL because there's been a lot of discussion about Taylor Swift even in games not including um, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and, and the Chiefs. Uh, we'll, we're going to see this manifest itself in the Super Bowl. And when, when, for the first time we mentioned this, this storyline, the, the impact of the Swifties, you know, I might have been conservative, suggesting that it, it could have an upside of, you know, 10 to 15, maybe 20%. I, I still maintain that it won't be more than that, but that in and of itself 
could make it enough to make this Super Bowl 58 the most watched Super Bowl in history simply because you've not only got the mainframe audience that would watch the game anyway, no matter which two teams were playing, no matter whether Taylor Swift was in the stadium or not, um, you've not only got that, but you've got the um, uh, legion of people who tune in sometimes just for the halftime show this year featuring Usher, and then you've got all the Swifties who are not watching NFL first and Swift second. They're actually there to get glimpses of, of, of Taylor Swift first. The football comes along for the ride. Now, a lot of those people may never become dyed-in-the-wool football fans. In fact, they likely won't, and there'll always be contingent on Taylor Swift's participation. But there's others who are being introduced to the game, and long after their their, their Swiftiness has been manifested, uh, they they will become new fans of the National Football League. So it's an interesting phenomenon in terms of the ma- the media value that's already been generated, but it definitely will reach a fever pitch when you come to this weekend. And the last comment that I'd make about the power of Taylor Swift and, and how she is having an impact in shaping a very different Super Bowl audience, you see the advertisers of women's products already have achieved record highs in terms of media buys uh, that have been made because they're anticipating. They, they, they hedge bets that that Taylor Swift would be at the Super Bowl, the Chiefs would be at the Super Bowl, and that audience would be there. So I think we're going to see some things that we've never seen before, and I wouldn't be surprised if, like, it's not going to be less than 115 million U.S. viewers. It could be 125 million, which would be an all-time record, especially with out-of-home viewing being now factored into the mix. You know, I used to think that AI was going to be the end of us, but I think it might be Swifties after all um, when it comes down to it. Anyway, um, when I look at <laughs> when when I look at the brand, the brand, how much bigger can it get? How much bigger does it need to get? Well, you know, you're talking the NFL brand. You're talking yes, the yes, Swift the NFL. Brand. No, no, the Taylor Swift brand is. I, I Drew doesn't care about I, the Taylor Swift it's the brand. End he cares about the NFL. It is the end of times. I guarantee it. But anyway, um, yeah. when you see the Swifties hey, marching I, I, down the street, I, you'll say Remenda was right. Of, uh, of followers, they're going to be called the Cruzies. <laughs> you know, not the Swifties, but the Druzies. There's, there's hey, not even uh, anybody in my family that would follow me. What are you talking about, man? There we go. There we go. Hey, you know, in, in terms of how big it can get, I mean, you always look at at what point is the market saturated. There's still some way here for the NFL to go, because no matter how strong it's been in the past, there have been, uh, you know, big chunks of the demographic that haven't been watching. And what you're going to see in terms of brand impact and brand value for the NFL is those young fans, uh, the Generation Zetters, uh, the uh, Millennials. Um, uh, you know, those are at the at the lower end of the demographic boom, but they're now becoming as big parts of the American population as the baby boomers and the Generation Xers. It's a really fascinating thing that's happening, and that's why. If you are going to say, okay, how do we build the brand? Let's build it with a new set of younger fans. 
and ones who are watching it as much for the celebrity as they are watching it for the game. That might not, you know, appeal to all of us listening or, you know, even even all of us on this call, but it is the reality that if you're opening up reasons for people to tune in, you're going to get more people tuning in. The significance is Roger Goodell is on the record. He wants, long before he ever contemplates retirement, he wants the NFL to be making $25 billion a year. Um, that's, his, that's his goal. And wow. they're at about $21, $22 billion and counting. The way for them to get to 25 and potentially north of that, as for your question, Drew, is young fans. Because the media evaluators would look at a new 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 21-year-old NFL fan, football fan, and they'd put a higher price tag on that person than they would a, a baby boomer like myself. You know, I've got, you know... Uh, 25 to 30 years, knock on wood, of viewing left in me. But those generation um, uh, Zetters and the, um, uh, the the teenagers, they've got they've got 50 to 60 to 70 years in front of them. That's why the value is that high, and that will translate to the NFL brand. Now, the thing that I just want to say is, and those you know who were listening to the Sport Market on Rocco Radio last weekend. You would have heard uh, Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated and SI.com, and one of the favorite interviews I've done all time. And he talks about just how the NFL has ignored potential adversity in terms of concussions, in terms of domestic violence, things that impacted the 2016 TV numbers that had some people saying, okay, look, this is it. The NFL is in decline. Well, it's far from in decline. It's grown despite being that guilty pleasure. That just shows you how strong the brand is. For all of its warts, it is in a league of its own. When you look at the other four major leagues, you add them all up, it doesn't add up to half the amount of viewers per game that we see the NFL, which is, you know, conservatively speaking, 10 million per game. So the uh, message from Roger Goodell to Travis Kelsey is don't screw this up. Uh, <laughs> you hurt her. We're gonna, you're going to be in trouble, young man. You, get, you, get a, you better put a ring on that, young man, uh, and be in the NFL for the next decade. Uh, that is Tom Bayadek, our sport business analyst. Tom, have a good weekend. Hey, all the best, and, and, and enjoy Saskatoon. Uh, uh, good luck at the Tankard and everything you guys are doing there. Uh, thank you very much. That is Tom Mayanek, uh, host of the Sport Market Heard every weekend. Yes, we are live from the Nutana Curling Club, uh, where right behind me is the 2 o'clock draw uh, right now at the Saskatchewan Men's uh, Curling Championship. A couple of undefeated teams uh, trying to stay undefeated. Mike McEwen, Steve Laycock, uh, Ryan Kleider, Hartung, all are undefeated right now. In the early going, of course, uh, there's uh, four draws left after this one until we uh, start to get down to the playoffs this weekend in Saskatoon. More coming up here on the Green Zone, including Britain Gray football at four and what Jeremy O'Day had to say about why Mason finds the backup quarterback and what to look forward to with the negotiating window and CFL free agency opening up next week. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Jamie Nyker-Romendo with you here on the Green Zone on this uh, Thursday afternoon. We're live from the Provincial Men's Curling Championships, the Sastel Tankard at the uh, Nutana uh, Curling Club. But right now it's time for the one-minute drill. 
Well, let's first up uh, update you on what's going on behind me at the Sastel uh, Tanker. Mike McEwen is up 5-3 in the seventh end. Burnett has a hammer in that one. McEwen trying to improve to 2-0. Two 2-0 two, two teams are squaring off on sheet D. Uh, Clyder and Hartung, uh, it's 4-2 for Hartung in that one on pool B's side. Steve Laycock also 1-0 is up 6-3 in the eighth and, of course, one more draw, 7 o'clock tonight. The NHL All-Star Game goes Saturday. Tonight is the draft as the captains will pick their respective teams. You also have the PWHL Showcase 3-on-3 game going on tonight. Elias Lindholm, of course, arrived in Toronto with a new team patch on his All-Star jersey. He'll be representing the Canucks after yesterday's trade. And the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have locked up another key piece for the 2024 season. Receiver Sean Bain Jr. with a two-year deal to stay with the Riders, and Britton Gray will have more on that, as well as what Jeremy O'Day had to say ahead of CFL free agency next. Football at 4 on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.